Welcome to Becoming Childwise podcast. My name is Rosalind One, and I'll be reading from my newsletter from February 10th entitled Babel Redeemed The Here and Now to Eternity. Jesus begins his ministry. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus rejected at Nazareth. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 21. Let us consider Christ's lineage. I remember reading through Matthew chapter 1 as a teenager and not understanding the importance of it. They were just names. Some I recognized and others I couldn't pronounce. It wasn't until I had to teach Sunday school and as I prepared for Advent with my family where I came to see the richness of where his lineage becomes our inheritance. Listen to Michelle Amy Reyes' thoughts. Quote, In Matthew's genealogy, Jesus has Moabite, Canaanite, and Hittite ancestry. Throughout Matthew, we see Jesus' multi-ethnic heritage fuels his multicultural ministry, enabling him to seek out non-Jewish peoples and invite them into God's kingdom. The more we see and value Jesus as our multi-ethnic savior, the more we can understand that different cultural practices and perspectives bring a spiritual benefit to our celebration of Christmas. End quote. But this is not just a message for Christmas. It's important as we consider the complicated issue of race and as we consider Black History Month as parents, educators, and ministry leaders. It's also important as we tackle the discussion of racism as we unlearn misinformation and false messages that have been directed towards us and others, and as we seek to love our neighbors as ourselves. Not only is Christ's lineage important as it reveals God as a promise keeper and covenant keeper, but it is important because it shows in the new covenant that his love and grace extends to Gentiles as well. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 through 13. Related to this, I'm brought to thoughts of my own lineage. Does God use our heritage in our sanctification? I've come to the conclusion that he does. It's important for me, with Lunar Year, New Year that just passed on my mind, to consider how I can teach my children about their heritage, not just their spiritual heritage, but where their grandparents came from the history behind why we are here when their grandparents started life on the other side of the world. Is it important to teach them these things? 
does it matter? Will you wrestle with me a little longer? Let us go back to where it all began, Babel. We see in scripture that children of man wanted to build themselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and make a name for themselves lest they be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. As I read some commentary about this passage, I found that over and over again it is stated that man wanted to build a large empire in this one place. Babel was a statement of defiance against God's command to fill the earth and scatter. They wanted to stay in one place and build a name for themselves. And we see here that in his mercy, God stops them in their tracks by confusing their language and then scattering them as he had intended. And while he diversified our languages, preventing us to further sin, we have to ask, Since diversity was a consequence of sin, does that mean diversity will be no more in the new heaven and new earth? Trevin Wax poses this good question in his article titled Babel and the Beauty of a Thousand Tongues, and he gives an answer. Quote, Isn't it fascinating to see how different languages are a result of our sin? And yet God takes even the effects of our sin and transforms them into something that will give him praise. At the end of time, God is not going to obliterate all languages. Now he sees the diversity of languages as part of the beauty of his creation. Every tongue, tribe, and nation will praise God. The different languages won't go away. They'll all be in service to praising King Jesus It's amazing to consider how God will transform even the effects of our sin and somehow put them in service to praising King Jesus, end quote. Not only does God intend for all nations to worship, Revelation 7, but he calls us to make disciples of all nations today, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20. As he has always done, even in the Old Testament, as previously mentioned and shown in Christ's lineage, and all the implications this has for us as individuals, for our nation, and for the church. Where would any of us be if we were not called by God as a Gentile? Is it right for any one nation, tribe, culture, race, or color to claim superiority over another? Might I dare to ask even for one religion to claim superiority? As when Christ came, he did not lord superiority over others. As we see in John chapter 3 verse 17, even as the son of God, but healed, loved, discipled, and died. As his church, should we not do the same? These are all questions to consider as we think about the heart of God and how he uses our backgrounds and heritage in his plan for our salvation. Let us consider Christ's humanity. As we consider the question of does God use our background, race, ethnicity, and our sanctification, 
let us look at Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 41. This passage really came to my attention when I had to teach it in 2021. I was making videos through uh, going through Teach Me to Worship curriculum for our children as we were all virtual at the time, and I was so blown away and blessed by the humanity of the situation which Jesus, who had grown up in his town, proclaimed in the temple before his neighbors and community that he would be the one to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy. Here is an excerpt from the teacher's devotion. Quote, Can you even imagine the people of Nazareth coming to church on that Sabbath? They had gathered for worship, and Jesus came to the front of the synagogue to read. He pulled out a prophecy they all would have known, they all would have recognized the passage. They let the words of hope float over their ears with the anticipation that God would one day send them a savior to free them from all oppression. Then the bombshell dropped. Jesus said this prophecy had been fulfilled in their presence that day. What? That little boy who had ran around with the ball? The savior? The young man who had built the chairs in my house? that teenager who had sailed on my boat? He's the savior? As the next three years progressed, he did all he said he would do. Can you imagine their faces when they heard the news he had given sight to a blind man? Can you picture their amazement when they heard about his releasing a woman who had bled for 12 years? Can you see that shock when they realize their worlds have collided? They had seen Jesus in the words read to them. End quote. Jesus was born into a family and into this town and community. It was all in his plan for our salvation. Christ, fully God and fully man. God perfectly planned it. It was prophesied and Jesus fulfilled it. He was born to Mary and Joseph, conceived by the Holy Spirit. In Christ's humanity, he experienced what it was like to be a son, to be part of a family and community, to be the son of a carpenter from Nazareth. He experienced what it was to be looked down upon. Nathaniel first asked upon meeting Jesus, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was all so very intentional so that he could sympathize with us. He experienced what it feels like to be part of a shunned community, so God uses it all. He, through Christ, took up our humanity and everything included in it, the sin, the brokenness, our backgrounds, our ethnicities, our communities, all of it, and he redeems it. Here's a poem from Augustine. Man's maker was made man, that the bread might be hungry, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired from the journey, that strength might be made weak, that life might die. Let us consider our background. I often wonder how different our lives would have been if my parents had been educated past elementary school. I grew up hearing my father say, you don't know what it feels like to 
really be hungry. On my husband's side, his parents were able to finish college and even go beyond, but they are not without trauma as well, as his paternal grandfather was separated from the rest of the family and his grandmother never found out what happened to him. What a traumatic loss it must have been and still continues to be for many Koreans separated by North and South. And so I'm compelled to teach my children about their heritage because I know the importance of knowing that one is beautifully created, bearing the image of God. And it's important for them to hear about the hardships endured, not only so they can learn from it, but so they can see God's hand working during hardships. I also know what it is like to hate myself and be ashamed of my own race, constantly bullied as a child for being one of the only handful of Asian Americans in my school. I learned to be ashamed of how I and other Asians looked. In middle school, a girl looked at my Korean friend and said, why don't you open your eyes wider like Rosie does? I happen to have bigger eyes than my friend, and in that moment, I did not feel pride for having bigger eyes or acceptance, but I felt shame, and I felt awful for my friend. This is just one small instance. My daughter came to me the other day and asked, do I draw Asian eyes correctly? And in her question, I know she has noticed the oftentimes offensive caricature drawings of Asian eyes. But she has also come to me and said proudly, in reference to Joanna Ho's book, she has eyes that kiss in the corners, noticing an Asian actress or athletes on media. I'm so thankful for this changed narrative in her life. Once I was a young girl who hated herself, and when I became a Christian, I struggled with my identity even still. I felt like I had to change myself to fit into this new community I became a part of. If only I had known that God embraces all of me, even the part of me who had a different Bronx accent, not typical of Asians. If only the kids in my youth group had been taught to embrace all of everyone, even if they are different. I hope you are seeing a pattern in what I'm writing. One cannot separate oneself from one's heritage, how they were brought up, and where they are raised. While the individual is important to see and each story is unique, so is the history behind a people group. It's important to understand that God uses all of who we are for his glory and as image bearers, we should steward our identities well. To hate one's culture is to hate part of who God created you to be. To foster this in yourself and to help your children to do the same is to appreciate who God has made you to be. These are all important to one's identity, even the hard parts of our stories, and our children need to hear it all, but not for knowledge that will puff up, but for how God redeems it all in Christ, for healing, for an understanding that they are beautifully and wonderfully made, also for an understanding and an appreciation and love for others as well. Let us consider our eternal heritage. 
Oh, how I long for peace in our nation, in our world. How I long for repentance where wrongs have been done and healing for the oppressed. How I long for the day when we will all come together, every nation and tribe, to worship in spirit and in truth, where there will be true equality under God our Father. I'll leave you with the following. Quote, Reversal of Babel. On the day of Pentecost, we see an initial reversal of Babel. God gives everyone understanding so that instead of God's mighty works being proclaimed in just one language, Hebrew, for example, they can be proclaimed in many languages. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. This is the end of Babel and the beginning of a new humanity. Instead of people climbing up to God, we testify that God came down to us, not in judgment, but for salvation. Instead of people gathering in one location to make their own name great, we are now scattering all over the earth to make God's name great. Instead of a language being a barrier to man's mission of self-glorification, languages are now redeemed in order for the triune God's mission of glorifying himself to move forward. End quote. Trevin Wax, Babel and the Beauty of a Thousand Tongues. Let's teach Babel redeemed to our children. Until next time, I'll save a seat for you at the table.